Um, if you would, turn in, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Now, my plan was to finish chapter 1 today. I know there was a lot in those first five verses there, um, but we will not finish chapter 1 today, but Lord willing, the next point through, we'll get to the rest of that chapter, and it looks like I should be able to, but next week, um, Kristen and I, um, the church sends us to a conference every year, and so next week we're going to a For the Church conference out in Kansas City, and we get to see Josiah as well, so I want to say from Kristen and I, thank, thank you to the church for doing that every year, it's in, in, and plus we get to see Josiah, so we'll be out there next week. So Jeremiah will be preaching, and the topic is going to be prayer for the nations as we get ready for our missions banquets coming up as well. And so, but then the following week will be Lord's Supper Day, and I'll go ahead and tell you now I'm going to, we're going to look at our covenant. We're going to look at examining ourselves together, so I'm not going to be in Hebrews that, that week, but we're going to just be more pastoral, talking about our new home groups, what to expect, and how can we, you know, love one another as a body. So we'll be looking at that the following week. And so then we'll be back, eventually get back to the last chapter of Hebrews. Um, with that in mind, um, let me give you the, the title of the sermon, and then we will pray. It's the same title it was last week. It's just part two. Jesus is superior to the angels. And I only have one truth this morning, and then a number of applications for the second part of, our, of the sermon this morning. With that in mind, let's pray, and then let's get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for another time just to come to your word. We're very grateful for it. We love it. It is your truth to us. Even this morning's Sunday school, just the foundations you've given us your word and how can we know it's true and how do we approach these things father so good uh, this morning even in sunday school to be reminded of that and uh, and I, <clears throat> we do pray for greg as he continues to teach us in this way continue through some things that are fundamental father but thank you for your word and father as we approach hebrews and this, this verse today um, just pray that you would bless our time May Jesus be lifted up. May He be more beautiful to us. May He increase. May we decrease. Father, and we give You this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we'll be in verses 6 and 7. Last week we were in verse 5. Well, 4 and 5, but mostly 5. Still under the topic of Jesus being superior to all of the angels. Look at verses 6 and 7. And again, when he brings the firstborn, we're going to talk about that quite a bit this morning, but again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And then, of, then in verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Today I have one truth, and it is this. The Son is superior to the angels because of His infinite worth. His infinite worth. In verses 6 and 7, we see 
that Jesus is worthy, and we just sang that song this morning, but we see that Jesus is worthy from really two perspectives in these two verses. First perspective, he is exalted, or he is superior to the angels because of his position as the firstborn. And then second, we see that he is, has infinite worth because of the fact that the angels actually worship him. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, verse 6, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, it's important to remember that the, that the author of Hebrews is taking Old Testament truths that they would have been familiar with, and then he brings them forward to support the fact that the Son is superior to the angels. Now, the first quotation that he's bringing forward is most likely Deuteronomy 32. I think this is probably the case because it's a, in Deuteronomy 32, coming at the very end of Moses' life, as Joshua is getting ready to, to bring the people into the promised land. And so Moses is there, he's getting ready to die. And he, we find in chapter 32 of Moses there, of Deuteronomy, let me make sure that my note is right on this one as we keep going. Yes, Deuteronomy 32, it is a song that we find. It's called the Song of Moses, and it's one of the most beautiful songs right at the end of his life. He's getting ready to turn it over to Joshua, getting ready to go into the promised land. And it's a, it's a song, it's really a song of worship. And here's what he says right from the beginning. In, in chapter 32, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, and I will ascribe greatness to our God. And then if we move forward, all the way to, to verse 43, which is where the writer of Hebrews is getting his quotation, it says, Rejoice with Him, O heavens. Bow down to Him, all gods. Little g, gods. Now, we see the same words from Psalm 97, 7, which says, All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship Him, all you gods. Well, the word for gods there in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's, it, well, in the Hebrew, it's Elohim. And so can be used of gods. It's a generic term, can be a generic term for little, like the gods of this world. But it is translated in the Greek as angels, which tells us that in the Old Testament, Elohim was often used. In the right context, you would know that he was talking about angels. And so that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is doing. That's where he get, gets this from the Old Testament, the Greek of the Old Testament. So this is very true, very clear from the Old Testament. Worship God. He is the Lord. He is worthy. And we worship Him alone. Well, what's interesting is that when we get to the book of Hebrews, the author uses these very same words that were used in the Old Testament about God. He uses them about who? Jesus. So with this in mind, let's take a closer look at verse 6. It's particularly the word firstborn. 
Last week, if you remember, we talked a lot about the word begotten. What does it mean to be begotten? It's begotten, not created, not made, but begotten. This week, we're going to look at what it means to, for Christ to be the firstborn. Now, there are many, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses, they use this word firstborn here in Hebrews 1 and in Colossians 1 as well. They use this word to say, if they, if they come to your house and they talk to you about and you say, you know, there were some disagreements here. I believe that Jesus is God. And they say, no, he's not. How can he be the firstborn? Your, our text says that right here. And how can he be God? And so they use this to say that Jesus He's a created being, though he's the first, but he is, the, he is a created being. Well, when we think about this, we do know that Jesus was, in the incarnation, he was born into this world as a man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was carried in the womb of Mary. This is the incarnation, and we know these things are true. But the word firstborn in this context here, in, particularly in the, in the entire Bible, particularly in Hebrews, is not referring to Jesus as a created being, but to his position of rank, namely his superior rank to the angels. So it was common in that day. Now, in our culture, yeah, like, Emily is my firstborn. If you've got kids, you know so-and-so, little Johnny or little Mary is firstborn. But when it comes to like leaving inheritances and things like that, we normally will give that to all the children. We don't tend to put the emphasis on the firstborn in our culture like they did in that day. Although there is still something to being the firstborn even in our culture. That's my firstborn. And we just, you know, we understand that. It is the firstborn and its position of just a little higher position. Now, in their day, it was a big deal, huge deal. The firstborn son or daughter had the, particularly the son, had the highest of positions for all of the children. And there was authority given to that child. Now, it doesn't mean that the other children were not born. Of course, they were born. Of course, they were children, but their position is not that of the firstborn. And we see this in the Old Testament. In one instance, God says to Moses, Tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Old Testament. How is Israel God's firstborn son? Is Israel literally God's firstborn son? Of course not. So he's giving them a picture telling Moses to tell Pharaoh. He's saying, in other words, Israel is special in my eyes in a place of importance above all of the other nations. And so another example in the Old Testament, King David. Did you know that King David is called, the psalmist says, I will make him... The firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Is David God's firstborn son? No, but he's called the firstborn. 
Well, David, if you'll remember, was he even firstborn in his family? Way down, was he not? He was not the firstborn in his family, but he is called as God's king over Israel and his place in the world. He was given a position of high rank, of the highest of ranks. That's how that word is used. And so I don't, I don't see when you, how the Jehovah's Witnesses even go back to that. And even when you think about that, they're not being very consistent in their interpretation. But when we come to Hebrews, when we come to Christ, Colossians 1.15, we see this word used of Christ, that He is the Lord of creation. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So this, this here is, is talking about he is, he is above all of creation. Romans 8.29, we see that this word firstborn in reference to his resurrection. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many, many brothers. And so, referring to his resurrection from the dead, he has a position of prominence he is he he's above all also in Colossians 1 18 he is the head of the body talking about the church he is the head of the body he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent so one of the reasons I believe Jehovah's Witnesses and others see him as merely a created being is because they only emphasize his humanity plus they miss the rest of Scripture, especially Hebrews, John 1, uh, there, there's so many there. John, John 1, Hebrews, Philippians 2, um, and then Colossians 1 clearly speak of Christ in being, in essence, God. It's, but the only, the, I think the reason that they do this is because they just emphasize Jesus as a man. And he was a man, but this is all they see. And it is true if we, we're going to get there pretty soon, but in Hebrews 2, look over there with me in Hebrews 2, verse 7. It says, You made him for a little while lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor. In the incarnation of Jesus, he was made lower than the angels in this regard. And this was necessary for our redemption. However, as the Son, He is supreme. His position is one of preeminence, as we will see as we continue through, through this chapter. And because of His superiority, as evidenced in His exaltation, He is worthy of worship. We're going to see this very clearly in the second parts of, second parts of verses 6 and 7. Look there with me again. He is compared to the angels, and we read, Let all of God's angels worship Him. And then in verse 7, of the angels, he says, Make His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. This is a very profound statement and truth about the person of the Son as compared to the angels. And as compared to creation. But let me ask a question. Who is worthy of worship? Who is worthy of worship? It is God alone. And I think when we 
go back and we, we look through the Old Testament, it is so clear. God says, worship me. You shall have no other idols. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet here in Hebrews, the Bible tells us, Paul, I think, again, I say Paul sometimes, I think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews says, worship the Son. I think of Job. When he considers the holiness of God, he says, Behold, God puts no trust in His holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in His sight. And behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in His eyes. Psalm 89, verse 5, Let the heavens praise Your wonders, O Lord, Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are all around Him. There is only one today who is worthy of worship. That is God. He is Creator and Lord of all. And here the angels are commanded to worship the Son. After all, they are creatures. Look at verse 7. He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. In the Old Testament, God often sends His angels to minister to people. And when someone tries to worship them, what do they say? It doesn't take long. They say, do not worship me. I am a creature. I am a servant as you are. But it is not so with the Son, which makes it interesting because there are a number of times where the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament comes and someone worships the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord allows folks to worship, which tells me that had to be the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. But we see this throughout the Scriptures when you think about Jesus being worshipped. At His birth, what happens? The angels worship Him. At other times, people worship Christ. Do you remember Thomas? After the resurrection, after seeing the resurrected Lord, and then what does he do? He puts his hands in, in the hands there and in his side, the Gospels tell us. And after seeing this, what does he say? He worships and he says, My Lord and my God. That's in John 20. What about Peter? After fishing all night long, not catching any fish, and the Lord Jesus says, all right, give it one more try. Just cast your net over on that other side. And when he cast the net on the other side, and they tried to pull the fish into the, into the boat, there were so many fish that the boat was sinking. What did Peter do? He says, get away from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And he does this in worship. On another occasion, there they were in a storm that would surely destroy their boat and they would be drowned. And Jesus is down below sleeping. The disciples go down and get him. And they say, we're going to perish. And what did Jesus, what does he do? He looks at him. he says, oh, where's your faith? Then he looks up and he says to the storm, peace be still. Immediately, it's still. And what do they do? They worship Him and they say, Who is this man that can command the storms? And, and there's, there's lots of occasions where folks worship Him in the New Testament. He also, one of the things the Jewish religious leaders were so 
angry at him for, and they, they, they clearly thought he was wrong, was all of these times when, they, when folks do worship him. Or when he says, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God? So Jesus says, I forgive your sins. In fact, this is the reason they put him on the cross. John 5, 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. That doesn't sound very easy to interpret, except for what it equal, equal to God. So how do you do that? Well, that's, that's the, the great mystery. His humanity, his deity was veiled by his humanity. But to worship the Son is to worship God. And today, as Christians, we worship the Son, who is the firstborn, the one who assumes and who is even given the highest of all positions. So that's our truth for today. And the rest of our time we're going to spend in application. So our truth is Jesus is superior to the angels because of his infinite worth. And so you could say when we come to worship God, we also worship Jesus in the same way. And if we went further with this, we could say the same thing of the Holy Spirit, which Lord willing, when time comes, we will do that as well. But let me finish with some comments and applications. First application, at the end of the day, <clears throat> this goes along with what Greg said this morning in some ways, but at the end of the day, we worship the Son because God says so. God says so. I, I remember so many times as a, as a young child and growing up with my, my mom, and particularly my dad, and I would say, Daddy, why do I have to do that? <laughs> Daddy would say, because I said so. And that was enough to go and do what he told me to do. Well, in the same kind of way, we worship the Son because God says so. We obey because God says obey. He is the Lord. We are not. God commands the angels to worship the Son. Look at verse 5 again. The, the emphasis I'm, I'm emphasizing now is God's saying. But for to which of the angels did God ever say. In verse 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says. And in verse 7, of the angels, he says. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell the folks there, God said it back then. Now you worship the Son because God has commanded it. From the beginning, God has spoken. God spoke. He told Adam and Eve what he required of them. But what did they do? They followed the lie of Satan, who tempted them to question the commands of God. The reason that there is sin in this world is because of Adam and Eve and their choices there to sin. And then all of us have inherited that sin nature. And by nature and by choice, we are sinners. And we do not obey the commands of God. And so when we think about the sinful world, again, Psalm 2 so we looked at a lot last week. God says to the nations, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Today, <clears throat> to worship God is to obey the Son. And this is because 
He has said it. So let me just ask, how are we doing in our obedience? How are we doing in our obedience to just listening to the commands of God? Whether it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're going to talk about this in a moment. But Jesus, as we make disciples, says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We're still concerned with, with, with obedience because God says so. How are we doing in our, in our time? Just reading the Word. How are we doing in our, in, our, in, our, in our prayer times? In our times of just getting in our room or our closet alone? I know, to me, it seems like through the years that the, the, that has been the biggest. And just praying. Um, how are we doing in our evangelism? How, how are we doing in loving one another? How are we doing as fathers and as mothers and children, being obedient to our kids? How are we doing? Because God says so. Let's move on to another application. We worship the Son. Well, actually, this is more of a comment than an application. But we worship the Son, not merely because of who He is, but because of what He has done. This is the context of our entire passage. Jesus is exalted because of His work as mediator. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute. You often hear me say, through the years, you hear me speak, when I think of Jesus, I speak of His person, and then I speak of His work. So, I would love to, to know that we're all on the same page here. When I say His person, what do I mean? And when I say His work, what do I mean? I think this is very important because in the book of Hebrews, we see both His person and His work. In His person, He is worthy because He is the Son of God. As the Jews were saying, you make yourself equal to God. In His person, that's who Jesus was saying He was. That's who they, everything that happened was pointing to the fact that He was, in essence, equal to God. And so, because of this alone, because of His person, He is worthy to be worshipped. There is no one higher that we can worship today than the Lord Jesus Christ. However, today, as creatures who have sinned against their Maker, we are able to worship Him because of not who He is, though that is still true, but we worship Him today because of what He has done. So this is His work. What He has done as mediator between God and men. We could not worship Him today. We could not sing these songs if God did not take on flesh <clears throat> in the person of Jesus. What a, what, what, a, what a great and wonderful and mighty and awesome mystery. But we could not worship Him unless He takes on flesh. Unless He lives a sinful life. These are the things He does. See, the person, now we're the work. Taking on flesh. Living 30, 33 years there sinless perfection. And then when He lays down His life on the cross, that is His work. He's laid down His life on the cross as a sinless sacrifice. 
And then what does he do? He rises again. It's work. And then he is, he's there after that. He appears to everyone. And then he ascends to the Father. All of this is speaking about his work. And so the book, this chapter 1 of Hebrews has everything to do really with not just his person, but his work. This is why Jesus says to the woman at the well, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so we worship him as God in who he is and we worship him practically. We wouldn't do it if he had not come and done what he did. So if you are a Christian today, it's because of his person and particularly his work because he did not have to do that. He freely came. He said to the Father from eternity past, I will do this. This is his work. Another application. As firstborn, he is the founder of a new new, new humanity. Last week, again, we looked at the word begotten. Jesus is begotten, not made, not created. The emphasis on the word begotten was on Jesus' special relationship with the Father. That was last week. So, begotten, special relationship with the Father. But the emphasis on the word firstborn is on the relationship of the Son to all of creation. There's a difference there. And this is a new relation based upon His work, His coming and His taking on flesh, His dying, His rising again and ascending to the Father. That is what this firstborn is in reference to here in Hebrews 1, 6 and 7. And this relationship comes because of His work as mediator. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Just anybody know that verse off the top of their head? Hope you do. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. New creation. So if any man, woman, child, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This has to do with him being the, the firstborn of many brethren. This means that we as Christians are part of a new family. Today, because of what Christ has done, we are called the children of God. And by way of adoption, we are brothers and sisters with Christ. Go imagine. Can't hardly think of that. It's, it's so big. Now, we are not like Him in that He was begotten. He is begotten. We're not like Him in that way. He is the Son by right. But we are sons and daughters, not by right, but by way of adoption. In fact, the Bible says that we were children of, of wrath. Tommy read that last week in, in Ephesians 1 and 2. We're children of wrath, children of Satan, the Bible even says. We are sons according to adoption, but he was not. <laughs> but as the firstborn of highest preeminent position as his as we consider his work as mediator we are 
children of God. And the Bible speaks clearly to that. If you are here today and you are in Christ, you are one of God's children, you are adopted into the family. Another application. As firstborn, he is also Lord over a new creation. It's not only us as sinners who are reconciled to God through Christ, but also the entire world will one day be reconciled to God. So we are waiting. We are waiting as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God now, but we're waiting for his second return. And when he comes back, he will create a new, a new creation. Romans 8, verses 18 to 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God. Excuse me, the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we as Christians are waiting for His return. And because of His person and His work as mediator, who is now exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, He is now given the right and now the new humanity, new creation will come one day and so we live and we wait for that another application just follows this as the firstborn he is the head of the church Ephesians 1 and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all Colossians 1 he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Today he is our head, which just by, by way of another application, even in Ephesians 5, talks about marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and who is the head of the church. Let me finish with one more comment this morning. Not really an application, but just something that um, I always wondered about this. You know the verse that says that the angels long to look into such things? I think that's 1 Peter 1, 12. They're longing to look into to what? That's, that's always interested to me. So let me think about that for just a second, because it's interesting that in Hebrews 1, he says, let all the angels worship him. But if we think about it, just think about this with me for a moment. We've only got just a couple more minutes till the sermon, till we're done. The sermon's done for today. Just think about it for a moment. When he says, let all the angels worship him, haven't they always worshiped him? Anyway, as the eternal Son of God, since their creation, we're talking about the good angels, the ones who have not fallen, but have they not always worshipped Him? Of course they have. 
You go back in the Old Testament, even in those times that I talked about earlier with the, with, with the pre-incarnate Christ coming and the angels worshiping, they've always worshipped the Son from all creation. They have not stopped. They were created to worship Him. And think about it. They are sinless. And they've always worshipped Him, which is common to their nature. That's what they do. Excuse me. They worship God. They worship the Son. But here, God gives another command, might even say a new command, for the angels to worship Him. They're already doing it. Why would God give a command right in the middle of them worshiping Him from their creation? What is the difference? Well, now... They are commanded to worship Him as mediator. They are, they are commanded to worship Him because of what He has done in His new position as exalted Lord who sits at the right hand of God. Now they are commanded to worship Him as mediator, as the one who laid down His life, sacrificed for sinners, rose from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of God. So in this regard, Jesus did not lay down his life for these angels, did he? You think about it. Because they weren't sinners. And the whole purpose of him coming was that he might lay down his life that we might be saved. But yet he tells those angels to worship him now that he has done this. And so the only reason that we worship Christ today is because of His work. His incarnation, His laying down His life, and His rising again. Today, the world does not worship Christ. To them, the cross is folly. But we worship Him. I think that is why the Bible says the angels long to worship. They long to look into such things. And it just tells me, wow, that God would do such for sinners in such a way in his great plan that now the angels worship him even at a greater level than they did before but they still long to look into they know why but they did not have their sins cleansed by the blood of Christ and so today if you are a Christian Christ has covered your sins and I this causes me to to worship the son in the greatest of ways because he is worthy of our worship Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today. I pray that you'd help us as we continue, Father, through the book of Hebrews and through the next bit. Father, we we pray that as we have heard these words, Father, I pray that you would just, that something would, would grab us as we go out of this place, that we might worship the Son this week. I pray for revival in our hearts. I pray for repentance. I pray that we would love Christ more than we did before we we came in. I pray that He would be more beautiful to us this week in all the mess of life and the things that are going on, good, bad, ugly, whatever, Father, and most of it is, is not so good. I pray that the Lord Jesus would sustain us and help us, Father, as we, as we move through this week. Be with Jeremiah as he prepares this week to preach 
to us about, about prayer. Be with our folks as they're coming back this week. Father, and bring us back together next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road in China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 a.m. for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.